0: you guys. Our message last week, um, which was uh, titled About Our Father's Business, that message, I think, is a very good synopsis of what it is that our church is about. It's a lot about talking about the aspects of restoration. So if there was a message that you were going to share on your social media, to sort of share to get the word out about our church and what's coming for the year, I would recommend that as one. By all means, you're welcome to feel, feel free to share this as well. Um, but uh, please be mindful of that. To, let's promote and get people in here that, that are broken. This, this world is filled with so many hurting people. So as we walked through that message last week, um, we looked at really our identity, right? We talked about our identity and that our, our pl- this is a place of restoration. We talked about our purpose, which is that God takes our pain. And what he does is he teaches us through that pain. And then he can turn around and use our pain to help someone else. Then we talked about our mission, our mission, which is to reach the world with the gospel. This is ultimately the drive of why this church exists, why we're on this earth. And then it was the last was the opposition Realizing that really disunity is the thing that destroys ministry. So the goal is that we would be focused with one lens that we see the world through, which is through the Bible. The Bible has to be the lens that all, that as couples we see the world through, as friends we see the world through. If we had the same lens, guess what? We'll always be in agreement. But then in December 17th of last year, we were in Joshua, and obviously this today has 123 messages in the book of Joshua, but 122 was a message that we uh, taught, which was called Justice for All, and that was Joshua chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, and we closed out Joshua chapter 20. But what we found in that whole chapter of Joshua 20 was the fact that God was really showing us something pretty remarkable. He was all about the refuge, the cities of refuge that were to be established for the uh, Israelites in their new land of Canaan. These were the places where if you were uh, guilty of accidentally killing someone, there was you could run there and get refuge until justice was done. But we saw this amazing parallel that was unmistakable as we walked through it. And the mis- unmistakable parallel was the picture of the refuge and the mercy that was offered through the refuge and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. They literally work hand in hand, and it was so easy to see and recognize it. But what we saw through that message was overlying, uh, not only for them back then, but for us today, the fact that God has an amazing amount of mercy. An amazing amount of love, an amazing amount of grace that he extends, not only back then, but in the current world today. So moving from that message today, we're going to be starting into chapter 21. Now, there's only 24 chapters in the book of Joshua. So you may think, man, that means we're close. I can't tell you that we're close. We might be close. I don't really know yet. Uh, I was breaking up chapter 21. And I think I've got seven messages out of 21 alone. Um, so we'll see where it all ends up. But, you know, God may consolidate some of that stuff. Um, but what we're going to be doing today is really walking through the distribution of the cities. OK, this is where the cities are going to be given out to the Levitical priests. These were men that were set aside that would be the uh, the emissaries of God, the representatives of God on the earth. They would be the ministers of the people. And what we saw was this aspect of these cities was the fact that they would receive them to live in them, but they would not possess them. They would not own them. They were going to be given to them uh, to use, but not to own. And we know that there was a reason why. Why was the purpose? What was the reason? God did not want them to have their focus on physical inheritance. Their heart was to be set on God. God was supposed to be their inheritance. Joshua twelve or Joshua thirteen, thirty-three says this But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance? Notice this: the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance. Their inheritance. What they received was the opportunity to be ministers of the gospel. Well, the gospel for them, the good news of that day. But what we see here is the fact that this was their the goal. So, what by not giving them a physical uh, inheritance, it's protecting them from falling in love with possessions. Because guess what? How many people know folks that are in love with their possessions? Who nobody knows? knows somebody who loves their car? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Oh, if a bird were to whatever they do on the car, and they saw it, boy, they come out there with a diaper and wipe that baby clean, get some spray, don't lean against their car. Right? There's people that are in love with their homes. They're in love with things, right? And possessions sometimes can get a hold of our hearts, and it's a danger. And what we see here is that he did not want them to get focused on a material possession that was theirs, that would veer them away from their relationship with God, which was to be their main, main focus. And that's God's intention for us today as followers, that we're not supposed to fall in love with this world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, like, So the problem is what happens so many times when we do get our, our orientation off of God, we will shift it to the world and we'll start to become envious of people, right? Especially in the culture we live in today with all the Instagrams and the Facebooks and all the stuff that people post. Somebody gets a new car, they get a new whatever, new house. Man, they're just images, images, images. And we're like, oh, wow. And what happens? It can get a hold of our flesh. Because guess, we're all prone to it, right? What, you know, I mean, it can even be as nice its something like a Bible, right? I may have a Bible and it's perfectly good, but boy, I see another Bible and I'm like, dude, that thing is awesome. My Bible works fine, but for whatever reason, guess what? Now I'm like, man, I would love that $200. That's a lot of money for a Bible. But if it's on sale, I'm getting that Bible, right? It's crazy. But just, that's the way we are, right? We're drawn, we're drawn to things. So the affection for material possessions can be the undoing of many believers, bringing them to the point where they'll be like Esau, who's willing to literally give up their birthright, sell their birthright to fulfill their fleshly desires, to fulfill their hunger for something of the world. I remind us of this simply because I want this inheritance to stay in its proper perspective. Remember, this is a fulfillment of God's promise to his servants. They were not supposed to fall in love with this. It was simply a provision. God promised them, if they they would dedicate themselves to him, that he would reward their faithfulness. So as we look into chapter 21, what we're going to do is we're going to focus our attention on the men that will actually be doing the, the the, 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 the distribution, is the word I'm looking for. So these men, as they're doing this, they're going to teach us a lesson on kind of how it is that we should function as well, because they're going to be the representatives of God. And guess what? on this earth, guess what? We are representatives of God. So let's take a look at how they deal with those that have a concern and how they deal with them in a biblical way. And let's learn how we can apply it to ourselves in our message this morning, which is titled, Fulfilling God's Promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of the time we'll get to spend together today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that helps us to discern and understand truth. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, supernatural uh, content of Scripture, Lord, the way we can go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and see the same author at work throughout. God, thank you that it was produced on three different continents by over 40 different authors, Lord, in three different languages, over 1,900 years, and Lord, yet we can read it as it all comes from the same person, which it does. It comes from you. So, Lord, I pray for today that you would take a hold of our message. I pray that, Lord, you take a hold of this time we'd spend together, Lord, that we'd set the cares of the world outside, And, Lord, I know for me personally, Lord, that I can get in the way. And, Lord, I just pray, I'm asking you today, uh, Father, I know you've spoken to me, and I'm asking you to speak through me, Lord, but not uh, that I would speak anything that's of my will, but, Lord, that I would just simply uh, give what it is you've given me to give. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of the Word of God. Remove the human element from this message, Lord, please, and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at our scripture. It's going to be Joshua chapter 21. Verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest, and unto Joshua the son of Nun, and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in, and the suburbs thereof for our cattle. And the children of Israel gave unto the Levites out of their inheritance, at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their suburbs. Now, As we consider this distribution that's taking place in these first three verses... Like I said, we're going to be focusing our attention on the men that are actually doing the distributing. We're going to pay attention to the way that they do it, the way that they interact with those around them. And this is going to show us how many times we need to handle situations and circumstances. Joshua is an amazing example for us. We see are there as well, as well as those other tribal leaders. But as we look at them today, what we're going to see is four different traits that are going to be revealed to us in the way they interact. We're going to see, first of all, that they're approachable. We'll see, second of all, that they are receptive. We'll see then that they are humble, and we'll see lastly that they are responsive. So let me show you what I mean as we dig into this and start to look at what's going on. What we'll notice right away is there's an existing culture in this uh, between the leaders, the decision makers, and those that have a concern. Verse one says this: "Kin then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest, and unto Joshua the son of Nun, and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel." Keep in mind that Eleazar is the high priest. He is the top dog when it comes to the spiritual leaders in Israel. Then we look at Joshua, handpicked by God to be the political and military leader. He literally takes orders directly from the Lord himself. And then you have these tribal fathers. These are men that would be the political, military leaders that answer directly to Joshua. So these are the decision makers. These are the folks that have the greatest level of authority in this entire people group, in and amongst the Israelites. And what we see, and yet, even though that's where they are, and this is the responsibility that they have and the position they have, we see that they make themselves available. Mm-hmm. Notice what it says. Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites. So they came near, revealing to us that God's representatives should be approachable. Now, in this instance, we can see that there is no separation between those that are in the leadership role and the people. The verse says that they came; they came near. They weren't yelling from a distance. They weren't uh, sending a carrier pigeon. They weren't whispering in someone's ear and sending a messenger. They weren't folding a note into a paper airplane and going, hey, Josh, <laughs> trying to shoot it to him. No, we see that they come near. They speak right to them Directly delivering their message uh, directly to him. And what we see, Joshua, who is a picture of Christ. Remember, Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. It literally is the same name. And so here Joshua is a picture. We see him as a representation of Christ and the way that he interacts and the things that he, that he does. And what we find is the fact that he interacts with these individuals, these priests, personally, right? This is a, an opportunity for them to share their, their hearts And this is an example for us because recognize the fact that, listen, the the Lord has an ear to hear, right? God has a desire to know us. God makes himself available to us. Those that have concerns, listen, the whole goal is that there not be any misunderstanding, right? Because if we're we're relaying a message through someone else, there's a chance that that message can get lost. So you've ever played the telephone game when you're a kid, right? And I whisper, let's say I give you a 10, a 10 word sentence, And I whisper in Josh's ear and it works us all the way back to the back. There's a good chance there may be a few extra words. They may be completely different words, right? But there's a really good chance that the clear message that was delivered in the beginning is going to be absolutely confused by the time it gets to the back. And that's why God wants to meet with us directly, right? He makes himself available to us. Clear communication. As long as there is clear communication, guess what? There will not be. There will not be confusion. And what does confusion do? It causes division right? The Bible warns about that, right? It warns that we're supposed to do all things decently and in order, right? In the church, Paul's talking about decently and in order. We're supposed to communicate clearly. Notice this. This is such an important thing to God that I want you to pay attention. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the the word was God. And the reason why God wants to communicate with us and it's such an important thing. Notice this in verse 14. It says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, Full of grace and truth. So God was so concerned with us getting the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But he came and dwelt, it says, among us. He made himself approachable. He was there dwelling amongst us so that we would not have any division or separation from him. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what we find with throughout Jesus' life, right, the whole time when he was on the earth, he made himself accessible. He made himself available to big and small, right? It did not matter who they were. He had ears to hear. Philippians 2, 7 says this, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He came down, and he had a heart and a desire to meet with humanity. Consider, think about the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, someone he should have no contact with whatsoever, and he listens and hears her heart and cares and restores her. The Roman centurion who's sick, who has a sick servant in Matthew 8, the lame man at the Pool of Siloam in John 9. Think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector in Luke 19, uh, the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. Consider the ten lepers in Luke 17. Big and small, right? Think about Nicodemus. Important, powerful, but guess what? Available. Amen. Available. Amen. Available. This is the heart of the Lord that we see mirrored in Joshua. Small or great, he made himself approachable. He made himself available. As believers, consider this even when the Lord ascended off this earth, we still have direct access to our Father. Listen, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed. I'm sorry about my voice. Is passed in the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. but it's all points, tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Boldly. Listen to that of the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find in grace in the time of need. There was a time where there was a veil of separation that divided men from God and there was a high priest that one time a year could cross through and make an atoning sacrifice for mankind. But at the death of Christ, it says that that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. You've got to realize in Solomon's temple, that thing was about 30 feet high. It would have been about two inches thick. And God tears it from the top to the bottom to say, this was not of man, this was God. And that veil that's been between us for all this time, Jesus has just set it to be done. Yes. There is no veil anymore. Now we have one mediator between us and God, the Man Christ Jesus. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. And how many of us have gone to that throne of grace in times of need? Yes. How many have found the mercy of God at the throne? How many have come broken and seen God lift us up and restore us? Praise the Lord. Not only does God know what we're going through, but He cares about us while we're going through it. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 10 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you. Exalt you means lift you up in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Listen to that. Be sober, be vigilant. Now, listen to this. He's saying, Listen, I know what you're going through. I'm there with you. You give me your cares, give me your concerns. Don't let it overwhelm you, but be careful, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking to be made devour. Whom, listen, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Everybody's dealing with the same enemy, they're all facing the same adversities. But the God of all grace who hath called us, unto His eternal glory for Christ by Christ Jesus. After that, ye have suffered a while. Notice we all talk about this all the time. God doesn't waste pain. Right? right? We go through adversities and there's a purpose to it. There's a challenge that will come in your life and you may hate it, but one day you will thank God for it because it will become a tool to minister to someone else. A shift in perspective. It's beautiful. But what we see here is the fact that, listen, He says this, after they have suffered a while, then what happens? Make you perfect. Perfect in your King James Bible means mature developed, established, strengthened, and settle you. When you're settled, guess what you are? You are at rest. You are at peace. God says, I'll bring you through tribulation. But on the other end of that, if you walk with me, I'll bring you to a point of rest and peace. Praise God. Look at what verse 9 says. Resist. Steadfast in the faith. Resist. That word right there makes you automatically, if you know the Bible, makes you automatically jump to another place where God uses the same word dealing with yes. the same issue in James 4. James 4 verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. What is this telling us? This is telling us that listen, we need to get let go of the world and the issues that have got a hold of our hearts. And he's saying, listen, don't allow these things to pull you away from me, because guess what? Your emotions, they will pull you away from me. Yeah. Don't allow your emotions to have control. Trust in me. Trust in my word. Trust in what I promised you that I will do. Mm -hmm. Draw an eye to me and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. ye double-minded. These are people that are holding on to the world and are trying to hold on to God. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to heaviness. And we go, why would my laughter be turned to to mourning? Why would that happen? Because what he's telling us is, listen, the things that you used to think prior to salvation, the stuff that used to be enjoyable to you, the things that you used to to hear or say or listen to, those things that prior to salvation, when you had a worldly view and you were lost, they were funny and they were enjoyable. But boy, once you receive Christ, that laughter... Turns to mourning. You know what? How did I ever think that was funny? How could I listen to something like that and ever have thought that was something that was good? This is destructive. And now with eyes from God, man, I see it differently. And I praise the Lord for that. Listen, it says, um, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Right? Exalt you. He will lift you up. So, we see two different references telling us the same thing, pointing to the same issue. This is someone dealing with a satanic impact in their life. I'm not telling you that this is some demonic thing that's going to show up in the night and scare you, but I can tell you it can be your spouse, it can be your kids, it can be a situation at work. There are things that are working in our lives that evil is trying to influence. When Jesus confronts Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, Peter is not Satan, but he's got an influence working behind him, and Jesus is speaking to that influence. Yes. And so what we have to realize is the fact that we have a demonic force. A, 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 uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against, against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So there's a spiritual war. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual. To pulling down strongholds. Yes. And what we find in this passage is it tells us clearly, what are we to do? We're supposed to humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves. God, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I need you. I, I, need to, I need you to show me. He says, Submit to God. Submit. What does it mean to submit? Submit says, Look, I, took, I no longer want authority in my life. Right. I give over my authority to you. Amen. You be the guide yes. of my life. Then it simply says, resist. It doesn't say fight. Just resist the devil. Yeah. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians, it says, Don't give place to the devil. Right. Don't give place meaning that we have the authority whether or not we let him in or not. So listen, man, if you want to keep him locked out, stay submitted, stay humble to God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And what does it say? It says he will deliver us, but not only deliver us, but he will lift us up. He will exalt us. He'll do great and mighty things in and through our lives. He makes himself available and approachable not only to his children in times of need, but to this whole world. This entire world Broken world, the Lord makes himself accessible and he made himself accessible on the cross. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means anybody, no matter where you come from, no matter how broken you are, no matter how broke you may be, how successful you may, does not matter. He makes himself available and approachable to all. God loves the world and every person in it. And that's why he makes himself approachable. Now how about us? How about us? Are we approachable? Do we make ourselves accessible to those that are in need? Or do when we see this person that we know is struggling, do we are we like Ooh, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> slip in the bathroom real quick. Right? I'm not the only one that's ever done that. Right? Sometimes we think, man, I got my own problems. I don't need to be carrying your weight. But that's not what the Bible tells us right? Galatians 6, 1 and 2, right? Find your brother taken in a fault. What do you do? Ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in a spirit of meekness. Yeah. that you not also be tempted That's right. because you know what our temptation is to think about ourselves. Yes. No, bear you one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So God's calling us through this message to show us an example of what it is we should be doing. Yeah. And so many times we're so full of ourselves, we miss out. God's called us to be ministers to this broken world and the only way that we can do this effectively is to make ourselves, make sure that we remain approachable. And if you are wondering, there is nothing more fulfilling in this life than to minister the love of God to someone else. If you'll get out of your own way and you'll just allow the Lord to work, man, oh man, there's nothing. Yes. Nothing like it. I don't care what success you've had in life. There's nothing that compares Amen. because it's not hollow and it has no short term temporal impact. This is something that is eternal, that is forever, that is changing the eternity, not only for this individual, but you know what? Also, the lives that their lives are going to touch. Right. Think yes. about the person that reached you. They had no idea that your life would spill into so many other lives. Amen. No clue. Right. And yet, look at how your life has touched so many other people. What a joy, what a gift. There's nothing more rewarding than that. So we see the importance of a being approachable model by Joshua and the leaders. Next, we see that their actions will point us to the fact that, number two, God's representatives should be receptive. Verse two says this, And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, And what this is, interaction reveals to us is that these Levitical fathers, they feel comfortable speaking. They're not intimidated. They don't feel like they have, uh, that they should wait for just the right moment. We would call this in our modern day vernacular like like having an open door policy. Listen, if you have something to tell me, just let's, let's sit down and talk. But notice that they were coming to Shiloh, right? They were coming to Shiloh in order to talk to him. This is where God had established the tabernacle. This is where they were based out of for the time being. And what's interesting about Shiloh is Shiloh translates as a place of rest, a place of rest. And what's also interesting is Shiloh actually is representative of the coming of the Lord. It's a picture of Jesus Christ who just happens to say in Matthew 11:28, "Come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And here the people of God, God bless you, here the people of God are coming to voice their concerns and seek help. Remember what Hebrews 4:16 said? "Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need." The enti- the environment that is that is in this place is one of openness. There's open communication where the Lord has an ear to hear. His heart is turned to his people because guess what? He wants to know what it is that we're dealing with. Listen to this in 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Right. What's so amazing about prayers is an opportunity to align our hearts with God's. We talk about praying in the will of God or praying according to God's word. That doesn't mean that we tag Jesus name onto every prayer and expect it to be a rubber stamp that, oh, you know what? I want a new Lamborghini in Jesus name. Bam. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) It's not how it works. What it's talking about is it's saying, hey, you know what? If you're praying according to my heart, what it is that I desire, right? It's like a recipe. We go back to the tabernacle. What's in the tabernacle? There's the different implements that are in that holy place. In the holy place, there's a golden altar. That golden altar sits right up against that veil that we talked about, the separation between God and man. And those Levitical priests, these men right here, these men would come and they would light that incense every morning and every night. And that was a specific recipe given to them that God said, make sure it's exactly like this. And I want to it to be a specific smell, a sweet savor to the nose, nostrils of God. And when we go into Revelations 18 and we look and realize the fact that that thing is a picture of the, of the, of the prayers of God's people right. rolling up to God. And so there's this picture in the Old Testament, and guess what? That veil, that, that golden altar is still there. But these men, the, whole, the idea is the fact that God wants to hear our prayers because guess what? He knows what we're going through. But man, he, lo- he wants to hear it directly from us. Yeah. He says this in verse 15, And if we know that we hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Yes. And when He says that we're asking according to His will, what He's saying is, Are you, are your prayers according to my recipe? Is it a smell that I want to receive or is it a strange fire that I'll destroy mm. that I won't hear? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have an opportunity to pray according to God's will. Yeah. Can I pray and ask for a miraculous healing? Oh, well, absolutely. I do it every day. But I also say this, Lord, but you know what? I don't know the circumstance and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, God, I'm, I'm ultimately I'm I'm submitting this to you, knowing that, God, you know better than I do. Yeah. I'm asking you for miraculous healing, God. I'm asking you to do something that's absolutely impossible that would shock the doctors and blow people away for your glory. But God, if that's not your will, ultimately, that's what I'm asking for. God, that your will would be done in this circumstance. So we're praying according to the will of God. That's what he says. And then it's so what he says. And if we know that he hears us, we can know this who, whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. And the gift of prayer and it is given to us. It is an opportunity, like I said, to align our hearts with God's heart, to pray according to God's recipe. Remember, our relationship with the Lord is a two-way street. It's a, a mutual relationship, meaning that, that God speaks to us, right? His Spirit gives us guidance and wisdom. He points us into His Word, and He used God's Word, as, as 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2, verses 9-11 through 11 tells us. And it's the Spirit of God that gives us wisdom. The natural man cannot understand the Word of God because he does not have the Spirit of God. And so we have this spirit that guides us and directs us. So here's God speaking to us. Man, it's a beautiful part of our relationship. But prayer is where we get to talk to Him. Yes. Yes. A one sided relationship is not an effective relationship. If all I do is talk to my wife, and every time she talks, I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like, but I want to tell you this, blah, 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 and she just sits there like, mm. and then as she starts talking, I'm like, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm good. You just need to listen. Right? There's people who go, man, I pray every day. I pray every day. Well, how much, what's your time in the word of God? Well, you know what? I'm not such good at reading, man. I mean, that thing's hard to follow and blah, 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 blah. Every excuse in the book. Can I tell you, man, God will use his spirit to reveal the truth to you. If you will just simply do what the Bible says, right? The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That verse tells us that we can wrongly divide the word of God. So we want to make sure that we're allowing the spirit to guide us and we're using the word of God to define the word of God as a self-defining, self-defining book. So we understand this. We speak to him through prayers and then the a prayer is a valuable, rare and valuable gift that we should absolutely treasure for you. must us understand that it is an exclusive gift to God's people. Notice this in John chapter nine, verse 31. He says this, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And I'm going to get back to that part of the doeth his will in a second. Certainly this applies to the lost world. right? The only, the only prayer God's required to hear from a lost person is one for salvation when they're calling out to God. But let me tell you that when it comes to us, there's also limitations for us as well because this verse can apply to a saved person as well. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Okay. <clears throat> what it's telling you, husbands, you know your wife better than anybody else. Pay attention. Make sure you learn her, know her, and learn how to love her. Right. According to knowledge, not only what you know of her, but then what God's word tells you. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. This is most definitely not talking about weaker in regards to mental strength. Because I can tell you, my wife is a Hercules compared to me. I mean, I'm mean, i like, if, if, if our brain power would reveal in size, I'd be like, put me in your pocket, sweetie. I mean, uh, <laughs> no joke. So this is talking about physical weakness, but it also talks about the fact that women are vulnerable to be tricked, to be lured by distractions, to be lured away by things that are destructive. Where was that? Why did Satan prey upon Eve, right? Because the Bible says that she was beguiled, but Adam sinned. Adam knew what he should not should and should not do, and the Bible says that when she did what she did, he was standing with her. Instead of going, No baby, don't do it He let her he let her do it and then she said, Here have a bite too And he's like, Okay, baby And we all live to pay the price, right? Yeah Amazingly. And so what we have to realize is the fact that, listen, what he's telling us, and he says, and as being heirs together, listen, this is what your, your relationship is supposed to be, husbands and wives. It says heirs together of the grace of life. Amen. The grace of life is where you're walking in fellowship with God, where you give grace to one another. You understand one another. You care for one another. You give each other time. You listen. You're approachable. You're, 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 you're receptive. You're there for your spouse. But notice this. Notice this, what he says, the last part of this, that your prayers, this is speaking specifically to husbands, that your prayers be not hindered. So what it's saying is, now remember up here it says uh, in uh, John 9, 31, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So meaning if we're not doing God's will and we're living in disobedience to God and I'm going to pour my heart out in prayer, but I know I'm outside of God's will and God doesn't respond to my prayer. Hey, that's not on God. That's on me. Right? It says that your prayers be not hindered. Letting us know that our disobedience to God puts a barrier between our concerns and his ear and his heart. Remember where God rewards faithfulness. These Levitical fathers, what's happening? The reason they have access, uh, the reason they're accessing and speaking to God's earthly representatives is a reward for their faithfulness. Joshua wants to hear from them. And so a question that we have to ask ourselves, how are we at being listeners? There's some people in this world, you're going to meet them, and if they were a radio, they would always be stuck on send. They don't receive anything. They're just so busy talking that they don't have ears to hear anybody else. But when you meet somebody who's a really effective listener, somebody who's been given that gift, and you speak to them, though they may, may say nothing to you, you walk away feeling like, man, I feel so good. You know why? Because many times it's not a matter of the person looking for an answer per se Mm -hmm. as much as they just want to be be heard, right? Being an engaged listener is an incredibly powerful thing. What we need to keep in mind is, is that as Christians like Joshua, we are all representatives of God, right? And because of that, we need to be willing to listen to the concerns of others, now, what would I, in my role, sometimes I think that um, I slip into a, a Bible answer guy. And like you come to me with a problem and I'm on my own, verse is running through my head. I'm like, oh yeah, just wrap up what you're saying. Go ahead, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. Here's what you need. Bam. Right? And that's, I'm not saying that Bible's not good. Bible's absolutely good and we absolutely need it. And we will use, because any, any wisdom that works is coming from the word of God. You do not want what I I have experienced. You want what God has done through my life if I'm going to give you any kind of counsel. So it's God's word that has the power. But again, sometimes it's not what they are looking for. Sometimes people just need someone to listen to them, someone to care enough. Because you know what? So many times people that are carrying around a pain, they just want someone else to recognize that pain. Right? Have you ever just been broken sometime? And you just need, you know, I wish my grandma was here. I wish my aunt was here. I wish there was somebody that was a good listener in your life. You know, man, I just want to be with them right now because if anybody else would understand, it would be them. And see, that's our greatest desire as human beings to be understood. All of us, we try so hard to make someone else understand what it is that we're saying. Why do children come to us and they say the same thing over and over and over and over again until you turn and acknowledge them? And as soon as you go... What's it, buddy? And they tell you, and they're like, okay, and they walk off. But until then, the, the burning desire is I need to be understood. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing that as children of God, we can give that gift to people. Yeah. We can make ourselves approachable and make ourselves receptive to listen to the concerns and cares of people that are struggling. Amen. It is an incredibly powerful, powerful gift. Now, understand the Lord in his first advent, when he came here, it was all about understanding. So much of it was about understanding our pain, understanding our suffering. Look what it says in Hebrews four fifteen: For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, the hardships of being human, but was in all points tempted as like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to lose. He knows what it's like to be sad. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, lied to. He knows all these things because he experienced it, because he was willing to be, there for us. Do we have ears to hear others? Mm-hmm. Can I tell you, we need to. Yes. If we don't. Amen. Learning is an active, or, or listening is an active thing. You can consciously listen. You can tell yourself when all that stuff's running through your brain, no. I'm going to be in the moment, and I'm going to understand what it is that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you what, that is something that many people in their lives have maybe never even experienced. What a gift. It's what's mirrored for us in Christ. Do we have ears to hear? And so we see Joshua and his leaders displaying for us that God's representatives, which we are, right? We should be approachable <coughs> and we should be receptive. Then next we'll see that number three, God's representatives should be should be humble. Let me get a sip of water. <clears throat> As he spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in, and the suburbs thereof for our cattle. Notice here that these Levitical priests are telling Joshua, Eleazar, and the other leaders something that they are already very aware of. Something, listen, they, when that was given... Okay, we see it recorded for us in Numbers chapter 35, verses 1 through 8. This is when God delivers through Moses what they are supposed to do. The land that's supposed to be distributed and all that's supposed to go. And the Levites are in that group. So what's happening here is Joshua is not being informed of something that he is unaware of. He is getting a reminder from the Levites. Okay? Now, in this situation, there's one of two ways to respond. You could either be offended and be like, you think I don't know? (laughs) <laughs> you think I don't know right to be offended potentially be frustrated by the situation uh, of something that you clearly know but then there's the other the other option is that you would receive it with grace that you would give it uh, receive it with understanding if we put ourselves in their shoes and we have just Lord, we've been studying through all these books of Joshua and then recently has been the whole distribution what's been going on for for months is the fact that we've been watching Joshua painstakingly walking through the process of defining the borders and telling individuals specific cities. And all this has been going on. And they're all together there in Shiloh as this is being distributed. And all these promises were given at the same time. Okay? All of this was given at the same time. So as Joshua's more than proven that he knows exactly what it is he's supposed to be doing, and he is currently doing it, the idea of these guys walking up and going, <clears throat> Hey, Joshua, just so you know, the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with suburbs thereof for our cattle. Now, in that instance, if you're like I can sometimes be, you might be thinking, okay, you you see what I'm doing? You, You guys see what we've been doing all this time, right? Obviously, I know we're supposed to distribute, and obviously, I know who's supposed to get what. Obviously, and I'm literally currently doing it even as we speak. Do you think I don't know what you're telling me? Right? Now, I may be the only one that might have that kind of response. But listen, I'm just, well, we'd be thankful that I'm not leaving the Israelites. Let's put it that way. But bottom line is sometimes we're not always so receptive to hear things. And what we see in this, and the reason why, you know why, is pride. Amen. Right? It's pride. You come to me and tell me, I'm going to remind you, and you, you think I don't know? Yeah. What's that? Pride. pride. Yeah. Insecurity reveals in situations like that. Because you know, people that are secure, they're not easily offended. And so, what do you see with Joshua? We see that guess what? He's not offended. He's not put out at all. What we see is him responding with grace. He's willing to meet with these men, listen to their concerns, and humbly receive their reminder. And it's through his meekness and humility in this situation that we see how Joshua is secure in who he is. Joshua knows who he is, and he knows what he's supposed to do. He's not threatened. He's not offended by any reminder, because you know why? Joshua knows that this situation's not about him. That's right. Yeah. And seeing this is the key, because when we're selfish, we're very easily offended. Yeah. Have you ever seen a culture that's more easily offended than what we have right now? Gracious me! Everybody's a house of cards. Yeah. God, man, don't say anything wrong. Who? I'm offended. I'm like, well, I didn't even realize I offended you. I'm sorry. Right. And why? Because there's never been a more selfish time than now. That's right. But selfless people, you don't offend them. They don't get bent out of shape because they know it's not about them. And that's what's happening here. Joshua knows. <clears throat> Joshua knows this has nothing to do with him and it has everything to do with them. And so for that purpose, he's like, okay, hey, because you know what they could be saying? It's like what you and I might think. We see a lot of stuff going on. You know what we might think? Don't forget me. Mm -hmm. Joshua, I know you have a lot going on. And I know that we're not that important, but just please don't forget us. Mm -hmm. Joshua does men have servants' hearts. People like that, as I said, are not easily offended. And isn't it just fitting that Joshua will respond this way? Because remember, he is a picture of Christ Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29 says this, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, listen, humble, meek, and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And so we see this. Joshua and his men have shown us that God's representatives should be approachable. They should be receptive. They should be humble. The final thing they have to teach us is that God's representatives should be responsive. Verse three says, and the children of Israel gave unto the Levites out of their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their suburbs. And what this verse tells us is that Joshua and his men took action to ensure that the Levites would get exactly what God had promised them. When we go to Joshua 21, verse 41, it tells us that God told them they were going to get 48 cities. And sure enough, Joshua 41 says this, uh, all the cities of the Levites with the, within the possession of the children of Israel, they don't own them, but they're, they're in the possession of the children of Israel, were 48 cities with their suburbs. They got exactly what they were promised. This verse also highlights the unique arrangement that existed between the rest of the Israelites and the Levites. Remember, the Levites were to have no property of their own. Yeah. The Lord was supposed to be their inheritance. They were only supposed to live there. They were owned, as I said, the land was owned by the Israelites. And you know what this is? This is a picture of God's people making provision for those who minister unto them. How does our church function? Through tithes and offerings. How do we do the work that we do for missions, tithes and offerings? We function because guess what? The Israelites gave and the ministers received and they were able to function as a ministering um, body. And I'm... And I, I I can only say wonderful things about this church as being givers, as being faithful tithers, as being people that give above and beyond. I just am so, so thankful for the heart of this church. Um, Thank you again for that heart that you have. And so this tells us not only that Joshua and his team of leaders were responsive, but that all of Israel was as well. So this was not just the leadership, but the people responded because, understand, it said that the Israelites gave that land. And so what we see is the the body fulfilling a need. We see the body being responsive. And you know what's so beautiful is the fact that as a church, as Hope Baptist Church, when people come and there's a legitimate need and we know it's, it's real, you know what? We should absolutely help. If we have the ability to help, we want to help people. And what's so cool is like right before Christmas, literally, what, Four days before Christmas, I got a random phone call from a phone number I did not recognize. And this lady said, hey, you know what? This is my situation. I'm a single mom. I've got three kids, really struggling. I've lost some family around Christmas. I'm just really broken, and I'm, I'm having a hard time, and I, I need some help getting some gifts for my kids. And I was like, okay. Okay. Let me let me give you a call back, and my wife went and sent out the the text you guys get that say it's for me and ain't for me, and my wife sends it to you just has my name on it. Um, <laughs> so when you're like you know guys are well thanks brother Dave or Pastor Dave I'm like whatever. And she's but anywho technology. Um, so she sent out a thing saying hey guys guess what there's a need, and man like within minutes people started just. Boom, boom, boom. People are coming by the house, dropping off cash. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And, man, it was so cool because we were to go, go buy some brand new bicycles and all kinds of awesome gifts. And Corey and I went, and, and the people at Walmart were amazing, and they got in, and they were giving us discounts, and it was just awesome. And we had gift cards and for food and all kinds of stuff like that. And my wife got on Christmas Eve. We got to go to their home and deliver those presents. And it was so incredible. We got to give them assurance of our salvation, share the gospel with the people in the community. It was awesome. And it was like, you know what? It's just the, heart of the, the heart of this church. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, yes, we restore people spiritually, but you know what? Sometimes physically we need to restore people. We just need to help them with their needs. The fact that we did the, you know, the, the drive this year for the homeless, and man, you guys paid up more than t- for enough for over 250 people we had come in. So praise God for that. And I appreciate just the fact that you guys are always looking for someone in need. And, you know, I get calls from people and they're like, hey, there's a need here. There's a need there. And I'm like, man, praise God. And like, thank, thank God that we have the finances that we do to be able to help people that we have been able to help. So it's just been, it's been amazing. So I praise God for you guys. It's important for us to remember as our God. Uh, no, I, I'm going to read you a verse. Uh, this is God's challenge to us in 1 John 3, 17. I'm almost done. And 18. It says, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, And shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Verse 18, listen to this challenge. My little children, this is us. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue. So it's one thing to tell people, oh, you know what? Go be filled. God bless. And he says, no, but in deed and in truth. Right? We're supposed to live the gospel. We're supposed to be a restorative place where people that are broken can come hear truth, where they can come and feel loved and accepted instead of judged, right? This is not a place for someone to come here and hear and you know what, feel like someone's gonna look them up and down. Man, we're all a bunch of broken wrecks and praise God. We are what we are by the grace of God alone. So none of us has any right to judge anybody. We come here so that we can love on each other and allow God to minister through us. And as God continues to grow our ministry, it's important for us to remember who we are called to be. We are Christians. As Christians, the Bible means we are Christ-like. It would be translated as like a little Christ. We're supposed to look like him, not just simply through what we say, not by the way that we look, but the way that we live. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. They didn't claim the name. They earned the name because of the consistency of the lives that they led that looked like their Savior. That's what we're supposed to be. And so as we interact with our community as Christians uh, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ, in our homes and in our churches, right? And this is an important thing because understand we're supposed to work together, right? So if we're going to give grace to anybody, it certainly should be the ones closest to us. Sometimes the people that get the least grace in our homes is our family. Amazingly, we'll give all the grace in the world to somebody in a line at Walmart, but then at home. We'll cut somebody's head off. Ridiculous. The ones who deserve it, man, they're the ones that God's given us to live with and to to live among and to invest to. And so we need to be mindful in all these interactions that we're to be approachable, receptive, humble, and responsive. Because listen, it's going to take all of these if we're going to reach the hurting and the broken of this world with the healing message of Jesus Christ. Listen, you must, you must control this flesh. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you are struggling with your flesh right now, if you're battling with your emotions, just come to play. What is it Bible says? Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up. We will not get victory through our own efforts. We will not get victory through controlling ourselves or controlling our emotions, we will get victory when we learn how to surrender control to God and let his spirit work through us and we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the truths that you've revealed to us. And Lord, I just thank you so much for uh, the way that you see us, Lord, in our messes and in our in our brokenness, God, you see us for who we can become. And Lord, thank you so much for that. I thank you for this body. I thank you for the believers here, Lord, that have given their hearts and lives to you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to minister to others. And Lord, I pray that you continue to help us, uh, Lord, to continue to do so as we move forward as a ministry. And Lord, I do pray for them, each one, uh, because the enemy is is absolutely, um, without doubt, always on the hunt. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be sober and to be vigilant that we would recognize him, that he is seeking as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. God, help us to be submitted to you. Lord, help us to walk in the spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Lord, for that, maybe one here, or maybe somebody listening to this recorded or watching this online who says, I don't know that I'm saved. Listen, 22 years ago, I did not know. 22 years ago, I'd never been raised in church. I didn't know anything about God. And somebody asked me if I were to die today. They said, if this is your last day, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, I hope so. And that's a really terrible answer. The good news is that God loves us and he loves you right where you are. The Bible says, no man cometh to me, but the Father draw him. And so if you feel God's drawing on your heart right now, you're listening to this in headphones and you're hearing this and God's drawing your heart and you know you don't know him personally. You know of him, you might believe in him, but he is not your savior. You have an opportunity to rectify that today. He is ready and willing to receive you. He's done all the work on the cross. He died for the sake of mankind so that that anyone, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves us right where we are. And if you feel his draw, all you have to do is respond. There's no magic prayer and there's no ceremony involved. It's just a matter of your heart reaching out to a loving God. If he's drawing you, all you have to do is surrender to that call. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But again, it's not the words. If they're just words to you, please do not say them. But if your heart is is longing for God, he's longing for you. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. If you want to receive him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I have absolutely no doubt. But at the same time, I also understand that you love me in spite of myself. And by your grace, I come. And Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I surrender my life. I surrender my future. And I'm asking you to work through my life to help someone else. Lord, I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.